0: Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Good morning Disciple City Church. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Can you give it up for the creative worship team for that last song? Um, Because I think that last song is um, uh, equivalent to what I'm going to be preaching on today and that is God wants it all. Um, And so on behalf of my wife and I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for joining us um, here during our live stream. Well, today we're starting our new series called Bear Fruit. Um, Around here at Disciple City Church, or if you want to learn our culture at DCC, we have been asking the question among our staff and our leaders, and even some of our brothers and sisters in the live groups. If COVID-19 ended today, would you come out of it looking more like Jesus Or would you remain the same? Now, before you think that I'm creating a false dichotomy or giving you two false choices, the reality is you are becoming someone. You are either going to be growing in Jesus or you will shrink. Therefore, you have to ask the question, am I bearing fruit for Jesus? Am I bearing spiritual and missional fruit for our king? And so today the whole heartbeat around this sermon and this sermon series is to equip followers of Jesus with the ability to bear good fruit in bad times. And so let me pray for us and let's jump into this text. Eternal Father, thank you so much for um, your love. Thank you for your son. Um, Thank you for the ability to even bear fruit. We pray, Father, that your word will go forth, that it will go forth in such a way that it will not return back to you void, but it will accomplish the mission that you set out for it to accomplish. We love you, Father. We trust you and we lift you up. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Let all the saints virtually say, Amen um I have, a, I have a quick you know i, I was thinking about this sermon and <laughs> this this story came to mind have you ever loaned something to someone and had to borrow it back right like like you loaned your stuff to someone and you had to borrow it back and you asked them for it and they promised that they're going to return it but they never do <laughs> right and 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 to make matters worse watch this every time you keep asking them about your item they get mad they get mad about your stuff it's mine right (laughs) like some of you all are getting mad right now because you are thinking about a family member a sibling who has an item of yours and have not returned it like you got brothers and sisters walking around with your shirt on Walking around with your shoes on, cutting their grass with your lawnmower. That might be personal just to me, right? <laughs> and not only are they walking around with your stuff, they getting compliments for it. Hey man, that's a nice shirt. And you standing right there, like, yeah, bro, I bought it ten years ago. You know, oh your grass look good. Jerry, when you go cut your grass? As soon as he give me my lawnmower back. <laughs> Like some of you are mad right now because you know what it feels like to give somebody something and lend it to them. And then you got to borrow it back. You know what makes this matter even worse? That those who have your stuff are walking around as if they are owners when in in, in respect, they're just stewards. They are just stewards. They are borrowers of your stuff. I guess this is how God feels. When disciples of Jesus are walking around acting like they are owners rather than stewards over the gifts that he has given us. Yeah, yeah. And and you know that they are acting like they are owners as opposed to stewards because anytime God asks them to do something, they get mad, right? When God calls them on mission, When God calls them to um, serve a brother or sister or when God calls them to love on their neighbors. The first thing they do is make circumstantial decisions as opposed to Christ centered decisions. And you know why? You know why we make circumstantial decisions as opposed to Christ centered decisions? When God calls us to do something, I give you three reasons, because this time is our time. These talents are our talents. This treasure is our treasure. And we begin to operate as owners as opposed to stewards because we believe these things are ours. And so we begin to ask questions when God calls us to um, the mission or calls us to serve the body. We ask questions like, does this fit in my life? Does this fit in a five-year plan that I have set out? Uh, What about the coronavirus? Coronavirus. As opposed to having a posture like the prophet Isaiah, who when God called him, he raised his hand and says, here I am. Send me or reflecting the heart of our king when he was faced with death, going to the cross, praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but Lord, let your will be done. All this boils down to one simple question. Are you bearing spiritual and missional fruit for Jesus? Now, before you think I'm being insensitive because of the pandemic, uh, would you go back and read either Genesis all the way to Revelation? And you tell me when um, followers of Jesus or people of God were, were doing things when everything was just good. No, God has caused us to be the light and the salt of the earth, even in the midst of a pandemic, pestilent or even heretics who are tearing up the church. And so today I wanna talk about bearing fruit. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 12. We're gonna be looking at verses one through 12, and we're gonna be talking about bearing fruit. Mark chapter 12, verses one through 12. And he began to speak to them in parables, referring to Jesus. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some fruit. Would you please underline that? From them, some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. Wow. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. And he had still one another he had he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And last verse, and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had to- told the parable against them. So they left and went away. This parable is about stewardship and ownership. It is about the ownership of God and the stewardship of disciples. And we have to ask the question, how should we respond to the ownership of God as stewards when he expects us to bear fruit? And I think the answer to that question that Mark would probably say is simply this. Bear fruit to the God who owns everything. I think that's what Mark I think the theology of this text is simply saying bear fruit to the one the God who owns absolutely everything. Now in order to understand the illustration of this parable I think we need to start in chapter 11 where they are beginning to debate about the authority of Jesus. And the reason why I think we need to start there is simply because of this. Bearing fruit to the God who owns everything starts with recognizing God's authority. Watch this. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, uh, they ask Jesus a two-part question in verse 28. And it reads, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? All right. See, the reason why they are asking this question is because Jesus has just cleansed the temple. Like he went in there flipping tables and driving out those who were buying and also those who were selling. In fact, even in the middle of the temple, he began to teach the Old Testament scripture, and it reads, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The religious leaders are simply asking Jesus, who gave you the authority to do these things? In fact, they simply saying, Man, you messing up our money, Bucko. Like, like, like who gave you the authority to come and do these things? And the question is, what things? Well, they tell you, who gave you the authority to cleanse the temple, right? Who gave you the authority to position yourself to be greater than the scribes, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and 22? Who gave you the authority to cast out demons? Who gave you the authority to heal the sick? Who gave you the authority to forgive sin? Because only God can do that, right? Only God can do that. Here's the the response Jesus gave them. Nothing. Jesus never directly responded to them. In fact, all he did was point to John the Baptist in verse 30, where he asked a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? See, the reason why Jesus is asking this question, because Jesus understands one thing. At the baptism of John the Baptist, where he was baptized, it already showed his credentials, right? Right? Like John the Baptist was the last prophet. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He is the one that said, I am not worthy to even strap his sandals together, right? See, at um, Jesus' baptism, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit rested upon him. And finally, God the Father said, this is my son who I am well pleased with. But they missed all that. Or more importantly, they rejected all that. And so the question is, why are these religious leaders asking these questions? Let me tell you this. It's not for information. It's for incrimination. They are not asking Jesus this question for information. They are asking Jesus this this question because they want to incriminate him. Watch this. If Jesus claims the authority is from God, then they can trap him religiously, politically, and spiritually. Watch this. Religiously. They said, who gave you this authority? Because we are in charge of the temple. Uh, We have the right to to say what you can and cannot do. Or, or, Or politically, if Jesus claims that his authority is from God, watch this. He becomes a direct rival to Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And then spiritually, if Jesus claims that his authority is from God, he is pointing to his messiahship. And they can trap him for blasphemy. Here's what these religious leaders understand. If we can sidestep his authority, then we can reject his ownership. And if we can reject his ownership, then we can uh, rebel against our responsibility to be accountable to him, i.e. bear fruit. Here's where this is relevant to us. One of the main reasons we get out of the way of bearing fruit from God is by rejecting his authority. All right. Stay with me right here, because I hear some of you already saying, I would never reject the authority of God. And in fact, oftentimes we, we say things like God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. We say, "Giving honor to God who is the head of my life. I will never reject the absolute authority of God. And to that point, I would say, you're right. We don't reject the absolute authority of God. We reject the partial authority of God. Watch this. In other words, Jesus has authority over certain areas of our lives. See, we give him partial authority, not absolute authority. All right. Like on Sunday, that's God's day. That's God day. But Monday through Saturday, that's my day right? 10% of my income, I give that to God. But all my other resources, that's mine. I work for that. In fact, some of us have gotten to a point where we say, God is a healer. He's a healer in this pandemic. And He's a healer. That's why we go to the grocery store. He's a healer. That's why we go to the clothing store um, to get new clothes, especially um, now that we on this virtual reality. We at least buy nice shirts so people that can see us, right? <laughs> All right. All right? And God is a healer. And that's why we go to the hardware store and we begin to remodel our house and do the things that we couldn't do when we were busy. But the moment God asks you to go serve your neighbors, We are quick to say, man, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I don't feel comfortable doing it. Watch this. The moment we compartmentalize God's authority is the moment we begin to question his ownership. The moment we begin to uh, make his authority partial to certain areas of our lives is the moment that when he calls upon us to be accountable to his ownership, we will reject it. I was talking to my wife um, when I was writing this. I said, man, you know what that reminds me of, babe? When we were growing up and we had that special room in our house that we couldn't go to. Like you can go to any other place in your house. But your mama and daddy had this special room where the couches were covered with plastic that you would slip off of during the summer because it was so hot. And that was the room you couldn't go into. That's how we treat God. We say, God, you can go to all these parts in my life, but that room over there, that part of my life, you can't touch. You have partial out his authority. So Jesus uses the parable um, to speak of the tenets to answer the question of what his authority is. And here's three things he's doing. The first thing he's doing is answering the question of his authority. The second thing he's doing is to demonstrate God's ownership, and the third thing that he is doing is to show what disciples of Jesus' responsibility is. Here's what Jesus understands. Bearing fruit to God, who owns everything, is our responsibility. Bearing fruit to God, who is the the architect of everything, is the responsibility of everyone who says that they are a child of God. All right, go back to Mark chapter 12. Now, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, right? And so I want to define a couple of things before I explain the parable. Here's what I want to define. In this parable, the man, he represents God, right? He represents God the Father, right? In this parable, um, the vineyard represents fruit, Now in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5, the vineyard would have represented the nation of Israel or the people of God. But in this parable, it represents the fruit. The tenants represents the religious leaders, right? Not only does it represent the religious leaders then, but it represents the disciples and the followers of Jesus now. Here's the last thing. The servants. The servants in this parable represents the leaders or the prophets that God is sending to these tenants. Are we all on the same page now? All right. When you enter into Mark chapter 12, specifically verse one, you see God creating everything. Look at verse one. It says a man or God planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. He dug a pit for the wine press. He built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. Watch this. Can anyone in the chat put where you are doing something, where you are creating something? That's what I thought. God is the creator of everything. He is the owner of everything. He created the vineyard. He put the fence. He dug the pit. He dug, um, built the tower. And then he leased it out to the tenants. God is the owner and architect of it all. But let me give you some good news, all right? To bear fruit does not require us to create anything. God doesn't require us to create. He just asks us to cultivate, right? To bear fruit is not based on what you own. It is based on what God owns. That's why he leased his property in the hands of the people. Now, um, I own a home. And I can tell you the difference between ownership and leasing. In ownership, when something breaks down, I'm responsible to fix it. When I was renting an apartment, when something broke down, those who were the landlord, he was responsible to fix it. God says, I am responsible for this earth. I am sovereign over this earth, but I want to entrust to you because I believe that you have a responsibility to cultivate the land. And here's the last point. To bear fruit is planted on trust. To bear fruit is planted on trust. That's why God has given you these gifts. Because he believes that you have the responsibility to produce more fruit. That's why in the text it says that God went away because God trusts you with the talents and the gifts and the treasure that he has given to you. Here's the point, And I think Najee Ward gave me this. God has given us all we need to bear fruit, right? When you look at the text, God has given us all we need to bear fruit. He has given us the gifts. He has given us trust. And he has also created the things that we need to bear good fruit. But notice, God is the subject, meaning that God is the uh, owner and we are just stewards. Now, if I could stop there and stop preaching this sermon, man, that would be good news that we have everything that we need to produce good fruit. But there's a problem. And the problem is the stewards believe that they are the owners. The stewards believe that they are the owners. Watch this. The moment you think you are an owner, Rather than a steward, you begin to play God. The moment you think that you are an owner, rather than the steward, the cultivator that God has called you to be, is the moment you begin to rival or to challenge God for his throne. Look at verses 2 through 5. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. Notice something. When God sent his servant for harvest time, there are two things that stick out in this text. And the first thing is this expectation. God expects us to produce fruits with the things that he has entrusted to us. God expects us to produce fruit with the gifts that he has given us. He expects us to be stewards and cultivators of the things that he has given to us. Here's the second thing. Not only was there Expectation to produce fruit, but there's also surplus. Remember when I told you to underline some? God is not coming for, for all of the fruit. He's not coming from, for everything that they have created. The Bible says that He is coming for some of the things. See, this is how you know a person is acting as an owner when they are a steward because the moment God asks them to do something, the moment God asks them to produce something, they get mad. Here's two things. You can tell whether a disciple or leader is operating in ownership of stewardship by how they respond to God's servant and how they respond to God's son. And here's the two emotions, I think. You either see madness or manipulation. The moment when we think that we are owners and that we begin to play God, there are two emotions, there are two uh, postures that come out, madness and manipulation. Go back to the text. The treatment of God's servant got progressively worse, right? It went from beating to striking the one person on the head to finally killing a man to finally killing the prophet or the servant that God has sent. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, pastor, that is extreme. I would never do anything like that. I would never take someone's life for trying to reproduce or trying to get what God has called them to come and get. But the point is not simply the treatment of the servant. Watch this, but it's the disregard of the owner. That's the point here. That they are disregarding the owner, not giving God the owner the due of the fruit is tantamount to, watch this, rebellion, to rebellion. You see, bearing fruit is not just a matter of productivity. It is a matter of responsibility. It is our duty to bear fruit for the God who owns everything. See, this is the clash that me and my daughters go through. You know, when they tell me, knock on my door, Daddy, before you come in. I'm like, what? Who owns this house? You know, Daddy, you, see, I, I put my name on the juice in the refrigerator. Who, Who's, who's refrigerator? You know, these are the, like the, some of the issues that we go through. You know, Daddy, hey, I'm about to take a long shower. I'm like, hold on, who's paying for that water bill? Like this is how we treat God. We live in his house. We operate with his gifts. And the moment that God comes to us and say, hey, I'm here to collect. We get mad. We get mad because we're operating as owners and not stewards. And when madness does not work, manipulation will follow. Look at verses six and eight. He has still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Notice what they did. They says, this is my vineyard. This is my land. And if we kill the son, then we can take the, the, the produce and the benefits. Let me show you about God's heart. God's heart was gracious and patient. He sent servant after servant after servant, despite them rejecting God's advance. Even to the point that he was willing to even send his own son. Why is that important? It's important because God keeps putting you in the same position. God keeps calling you to do the same thing. God keeps putting you in the same neighborhood at the same job because he knows that you will produce more fruit in that position than you ever could on your own. He's been gracious and patient to us. And yet we begin to reject him here's the truth. When you and I refuse to give God our fruits, we're not only rejecting the owner, we're not only rejecting God, but we're also rejecting the mission of the son. We're rejecting the mission of the son. Now I know what some of you are saying, pastor, I would never reject the mission that God has called me to. I just wouldn't do that. And for some of you like, I agree, but we don't do it directly. we do it indirectly. Let me put it another way. The way that we oftentimes reject the mission of God is we do it religiously. Let me give you one example. We say things like, "I prayed over this and God has given me peace with it." Really? Yeah, I pray to God, and He has given me peace to it." Let me interpret. You took your plan to God and you said, Can you approve of this? See, there's nothing wrong with praying, asking God to lead you and to guide you. But the moment you take your plan and say, God, approve this, is the moment you are trying to manipulate yourself out of bearing fruit for God. Ah, that hurt it. Yeah, just say, Ouch. If you can't say amen, just say, Ouch. All right? And here's the reason why I know it wasn't uh, uh, based on what God was leading you to do, because you told nobody else about it. You told nobody else about it. It was just your decision, not prompted by the Holy spirit, but you got to a point and you say, I'm tired of doing this. That's called spiritual manipulation when producing good fruit and the consequences of not bearing fruit. To a God who owns everything is that he would give it to someone else. Look at verses 9 and 10. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyards to others. Your inability, my inability to produce fruit will not stop the kingdom advancement. God will get to a point after persistently pursuing you and say, let me take that from you and I'm going to give it to someone else. I'm going to give it to someone else. You know why he's going to give it to someone else? Because God is already creating a new community. That's why he quotes this last verse in Psalm 118. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If you are willing to reject God and producing the fruit that he has called you to, God said, I'm going to give it to someone else. I'm going to give it to a community that reps my name. I'm going to give it to a community that glorifies me. I'm going to give it to a community that is raising their hand saying, here I am, send me. Nevertheless, not your will, not my will, but let your will be done here on earth. Now you read that passage. And I got to be honest with you. There's nothing positive, right? There's nothing positive in this passage. There is no positive application. The only application in Mark chapter 12 is simply this. Bear fruit to the God who owns everything. But I know we live in an age where you like, Pastor, but how does this look? What does it look like to bear good fruit to the God who owns everything? I got one application in three examinations. The first application is simply this. Submit your gifts under God's ownership. If we are going to be the type of people who bear good fruit in bad times, the first thing we have to do is submit our gifts under God's ownership. For example, instead of looking at your human boss As the one that you're trying to please, look at God as the one that you're trying to please, as the one that you're trying to reflect his glory. And because if you do that, despite how the boss is, whether he's a good boss or a bad boss, you're not doing it for kudos or affirmation. You're doing it for eternal king. All right. Also, stop trying to do things for God and begin to think about doing things with God. See, oftentimes we we do things for God. And when you do things for God, you expect a reward. But when you do things with God, you delight in being in his presence. I'm around so many people who wants to get um, shout outs for what they have done. And there's nothing wrong to be affirmed, but when you are looking for the affirmation and you're not looking to lift the fruit of God back to him, man, you might be walking in ownership and not stewardship. Submit your gifts under the ownership of God, and only then will you produce the type of fruit that is glorious to yourself, but also able to feed others. So pastor, how do I do this? Like, How do I make sure that I'm producing good fruit? There are three areas that you can examine. Examine your time, your talent, and your treasure, right? Where are you spending most of your time is an indication of whether you're doing things for God or you're doing things with God. See, your time tells you what you value. See, during this pandemic, it has thrown our time off. Right? especially because we are working at home all the time and statistics are showing that productivity in the job is going up but spending time with family is going down productivity um, at the job is going up but serving the uh, local church is going down if you want to know if you're producing good fruits look at where you are spending your time here's the second thing is what are you doing with your talents What are you doing with your gifts? You know that you are producing fruits from God when you see a natural rhythm of advancing the kingdom of God and not just building your own career. See, oftentimes we're, we're looking five years down the road for where we want to be in our careers, but we haven't even sat down and wrote the core values of what God is calling us to do with our talents. Stop looking for the shout outs and start thanking God for the gift that he has given you and the talent that he has given you. And here's the last one. And probably the most important thing for most of us is where are you spending your money? Your treasure. Where your money is oftentimes your heart is. You know that you are producing good fruit. When God blesses you, the first thing you think about is how you can bless other people. Because you understand that blessing when God blesses you, he's not just blessing you for you, but he's blessing you so that through you, you might be a blessing to other people. You know, you are producing good fruit when you're thinking about how do you serve other people? My wife does an excellent job with this. In fact, the Lord has blessed us during this pandemic. Uh, with some income and my wife has already thought about three different ways we can bless other people. And and I'm going to expose my heart right now. I'm like, we ain't even paid off the debt. What are you talking about other people? (laughs) And she'd be like, hold on, isn't God the ultimate provider? I'm like, just leave me alone. I got to walk out of the room sometime. Her heart is better than mine. If you want to know if you're producing good fruit, you need to examine your time, you need to examine your talents and you need to examine your treasure. And when you examine these things, if they are misaligned with producing good fruit, then what it is showing you is that you have not submitted your gifts under the ownership of God. And if they are aligned, glory be to God and disciple someone else in doing this. So as the taming comes to um, the stage and we begin to uh, worship God with our last psalm, one of the things we do here at Disciple City Church is uh, we contemplate and we ask four questions, right? What is God calling us to stop? What is God calling us to start? What is God calling us to believe? And who is God calling us to share this message with? Continue to bear good fruit. God bless you. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.